Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 159 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and unfortunately not here tonight is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. He said something about a magic eight ball telling him he needed to go somewhere. Hopefully that's not a problem. <laughs> but really, really, due to some medical issues, he was unable to join us. Uh, he's doing fine. He's actually doing great, and he will be back for FF Plus midweek, so no need to worry we do have a guest host, though, special DC correspondent, screen rant editor, kick-ass Canadian and all-around rad dude, our DC guy, of course, Andrew B. Dice. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. What an introduction. Hey, you know, I'm trying to one-up it each and every yeah. episode, so, you know, a couple years from now when we're covering the Batman, you're going to have, like, oh. three sentences full of descriptors. Oh, fantastic. Wow. I'll get, like, a drum roll music going. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, don't tip me. Well, we'll very shortly start digging into Shazam, but Andrew, I wanted to catch up with your new projects first, because as I understand it, you've started a new podcast that covers a certain DC film. Many of our listeners, I'm raising my hand, myself included, love one that launched this very podcast, in fact, and one that we podcasted on twice just so that you could join us that second time. <laughs> so can you tell us about this new show? Yes, uh, I guess myself and uh, Stephen Colbert, my, my fellow Screen Rant editor, decided that we had spent too much time sending messages back and forth about Batman v Superman, the movie, the the storyline, the plan, the public perception, the ongoing controversy, uh, and then decided the best way to do it would just be to uh, rewatch the movie and discuss it one single minute at a time. Um, lunacy, you might say, but, uh, but we, <laughs> we started to try it out to kind of see how, uh, the conversation would go and we ended up really enjoying it. So it is a podcast now, a Batman v Superman by the minute. Um, the first episode is out and I think the, the second one will be out, uh, when people are listening to this. So, um, have you gotten a chance to listen? Does it suck? Can you, no. can you endorse this not sucking? I, I can endorse it as not sucking without listening to it, but, <laughs> To be fair, I saw your tweet about it when you when it first got announced, and I immediately went to my podcast app and looked for it, and it had not updated yet, so I couldn't get it to download. I couldn't find it. So tonight, I did find it, and I actually have them downloaded right now, yeah. ready to listen. Um, there's an intro episode. There, the yeah. first the first minute I think is about a 19 minute conversation. Yep, half of which is a black screen with with company titles, I guess. Oh my! So <laughs> tell me this. As for listeners who aren't familiar with these by the minute podcasts, this is a thing that has kind of popped up over the last few years, and it can be incredibly rewarding if mm -hmm. for for people who are very, I don't know, people who are big fans of that specific movie. You have to really want to understand one movie. So, how would people rewatch this to go along with the episodes in order to kind of get the best experience? I, yeah, I think the, yeah, cause we don't really expect people to watch, you know, like one minute stuff. Watch it once a know, week. A yeah. whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, well, and that was the thing is Steven and I kind of uh, approached it from the angle of like, and I'm sure the listeners of your podcast know that even the people who felt kind of okay about the movie or, 
wouldn't really, you know, would rank other DC or Marvel movies above it and below it kind of thing. Um, it reached a point where the way people were talking about the movie, it was no longer describing the movie that either of us had seen. Uh, I think, you know, we talked about that in that, uh, the negativity of, of criticism is you kind of just focus on the, you know, oh, Superman, like, you know, he killed a bunch of people and, uh, you know, Batman was murdering people and all of that. And, and it becomes like kind of the thing you talk about. And, uh, I think Steven and I both feel and felt that, um, the, the film was deserving of, uh, let's just say, like, even if not a more, um, a more positive conversation, just a wider conversation, like about, there's a whole lot going on in that movie, even if you felt okay on it, um, with cinematography and, uh, you know, the, the, the writing of it, the performances, the music, the sound design, a lot of things that people have kind of, uh, filtered through and, and examined in the larger picture of now, you know, the Justice League that it was building to, not really getting to come out and that kind of thing. Uh, but I think more than anything, and I'll speak for myself, not Steven, uh, there just haven't been any other movies kind of like it since, and especially not in this genre. So uh, that feels like even more of a, a missed opportunity. And we say in our introduction episode, you know, it's not for people who only love the movie and want to hear us gush about it uh, because we're not really coming at it from that angle. It's, it's not just 19 minutes of us talking about how good it is, um, but kind of a, an approach of if people don't understand what all the hullabaloo was about or what makes this movie so different or what makes it so special, I hope that we get some of that across in the first movie because you would think that a Batman movie and a Superman movie that 20 years from now, people are going to look back and certainly still be talking about it and images and stills from it will still be shared, but um, it will imply a conversation about that film that we don't think ever actually got to be had. So this is our little effort to have it um, for people who really dig it, maybe wanted to like it more uh, would also be appealing to it. More than anything, I think we just love the freaking like art of movie making. And this is a really interesting example in it. So going by one minute at a time from a perspective of people who really like comic books, you know, and really like these characters and really like movies and writing. Um, it's just a really fun movie to talk about. And I think even with when, when like I've had conversations with people who were kind of less positive about it, um, even asking them, you know, what did you like about it and what didn't you like? Uh, I, I enjoy that conversation so much. So. This is kind of one-sided, I guess, but um, I, w- I don't know. I would recommend if, you, if you're if you familiar with the movie, then you can probably just start listening cold. Uh, if you're not, maybe listen to the first minute or two um, or just watch it in sections, I guess, if you don't really care about it that much. But uh, yeah, maybe do a rewatch and then write down notes on all the things you hate <laughs> and then wait for us to get to them. But uh, yeah, it's we're having a ton of fun doing it already, and uh, I think it is – a roaring conversation to have whether it is to listen to i don't know <laughs> I'll let I'm, the people be the judge i'm sure it will be I, i'm excited for it very much so i i don't usually jump into these minute by podcasts because usually they're not on films that i mean i really have to want to know more about that film yeah. in a deep deep way and you're right bvs is a cultural touchstone in history it is going to be remembered for yeah. better and for worse, for all of this stuff around it. And I love that you're really trying to get into some of that, but also just the movie itself. On yeah, its own I merits. think that would, that would be the way to describe it, is I think that our intention is to make it um, an entertaining experience to listen to, 
30 years from now, you know, like completely removed from the conversation just about the movie, because I think people will be talking about it. And I think a lot of other uh, creators and filmmakers will be will be drawing from it in one way or another. Awesome, man. Now let's get into David Sandberg's new film. And the, not, opposite, the polar opposite. <laughs> not Zack Snyder's dark vision, clearly. Um, although there's some darkness in here that I was not prepared for. So sure. spoilers abound after this, listeners. Consider yourself fairly warned. I think we all agree, and I wrote that when Patrick was still going to be with us. I guarantee he will agree. I'm predicting that. That in this film, it is definitely worth taking the family to see. Um, just be sure to come back and join us for this conversation. After you've seen it, you don't want to get spoiled. And off we go. So, Andrew, one word, take away. Why don't you give us yours first? Mine is compassion. Uh, compassion it. You can modify it in any way you want. Uh, I feel like that is something that maybe is missing a little bit from superhero stories, period, uh, today a lot of the time. Mainly because there just aren't children in a lot of the time. You know, it's usually a flashback of our hero or, or something like that. Um, and this was a movie that, just like the comic book, uh, the Jeff Johns New 52 version that it's based on is basically kids as the main characters. Uh, and that, uh, I guess I, I didn't really consider how much that would bring with it into a film adaptation, but from the, like, first scenes of the movie through to the end uh, i think that it's a movie that asks you to care asks you to uh, you know to quote the movie open your heart and in a really shameless way that i think is going to you know patty jenkins said that about wonder woman right it's not cool to be sentimental uh or, or genuine and i think this movie wears its heart on its sleeve i was surprised to find that from a, a horror director or a director who's known mainly for horror but Basically, every character, uh, every human character can be discussed from the angle of uh, are they compassionate? Do they hunger for compassion? Um, are they the way they are because they were never given it? And I think that's a aside from all of the magic, uh, you know, all of the, the spectacle and everything. I think that really is the heart of the movie for me uh, when I walked out of the theater. Well, that's phenomenal. Um, that is definitely in line with the feel and film way of things. <laughs> yeah, no, this this one really was clearly something that was going to work for us in a big way. Um, I could tell right away when I saw it, I was like, wow, I love the themes going on here on the surface. They're not even that deep. You don't have to search for them. Yeah, sure. Um, so that's that's great. I love the one word that you came off with. You actually mentioned my one word takeaway, and that is magic. So one thing that I really love about the current direction of the DCU is how films like Aquaman, Shazam, and also the upcoming Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix all have a distinct tone that really fits that character. Shazam is a child in an adult's body, not only discovering what his significantly OP abilities are, but also learning how to deal with people who see him as someone different than he is. So I was not familiar with the world of Shazam at all. I mean, I knew of the character. I knew him from Young Justice briefly, but I didn't know how he got his powers. I didn't realize that it involved wizards and magic, which made me really excited when I found that out. I loved it. The Seven Wizards versus Seven Sins is such a cool concept to explore. And 
even taking that a step further, probably we can talk about this at the end when we discuss maybe where this universe is going, but the seven realms of, uh, I mean, there's, there's so much unite the seven going on in this universe. <laughs> I'm, my, my mind is exploding with sevens, but it's a really cool concept to explore this magical world within a superhero universe that is often very grounded, especially with the DC one. So this movie captures the magical nature, I think, of the character really well. But it also captures the magical feeling of a child experiencing superpowers and the magic of finding a family that you choose to be your family and you accept. And it's just an all-around wonderful, grounded, fun family comic book film that I think in multiple ways felt very magical to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so magical and compassionate. That's great. I like it. Yeah, wow. Well, before we get into some of the themes, um, I want to talk about this fun at the heart of Shazam and, and how it fits into the DCEU. Because coming out of this movie, one of the first things that I really felt was, wow, that didn't feel like it ties into anything, hardly. I mean, other than some nods to characters, it firmly, you know, it firmly shows us that it exists in the world with BVS and Man of Steel and some yeah. of these other movies. But they're not impactful on it in a direct way. And I felt like there are Easter eggs aplenty in the film. Um, and so I wondered what were some of your favorite references. I, you're the DC guy. So I am hoping that maybe you found some things that I didn't even find. I'm going to lead with this before I let you go. First, the the thing that really got me was Freddy's t-shirts. And, and I know that I'm not the only person that noticed Freddy's yeah. t-shirts. But the fact that, like, every time we see Freddy, he's seemingly wearing a different DC <laughs> character's logo on his t-shirt. And I love that. I thought it was so cool that he's a DC comic book fan in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. There is a shirt he's wearing, though, Andrew, at one point that I didn't figure out who it was. It looked like Venom to me. Oh. But it couldn't be Venom because Venom is not DC. There was a black character, I think. Um, oh, I wonder if it was a, I wonder if it could have been like a Black Adam shirt, maybe. Oh that my would have gosh. Been but there's one, I mean, I got Wonder Woman, I saw Aquaman, I saw Superman, I saw, you know, Batman. I, I never could place this one shirt. It was, it was black. It had like white outline of like eyes and what I thought was teeth and a tongue, red tongue. Oh, I, it looked like a. This is a good hunt. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we can mess with that as we go. But, but what did you pull out like reference wise for this universe connections? Yeah. You know, I think the, like in a, on a broad level, I really loved how it was kind of like a matter of which it was going to be Marvel or DC to just kind of a comment on the world being the way it is openly. I never really understood why, uh, I mean, I guess I understand now why in the Netflix shows they would make kind of like vague illusions, like, um, the, a guy with a hammer or uh, a guy with a shield. It always felt kind of, uh, you know, it, it would, it would be fun for people, but it always felt a little artificial or like a little, um, I don't know why you aren't just allowed to kind of embrace like what's going on here. And, and I think Shazam really does embrace the, the DC universe that it is set within, you know, with no apologies. And 
I, you know, it's, it's like inherently fun, uh, how it erases the line between we are fans of these heroes as fictional characters and they're fans of these heroes as still characters, I guess, you know, celebrities, uh, fundamentally different, but like in the way that Freddie loves them, not different at all. You know, when a person sees him, they think like, how is this? Do you know Superman? You know, and it reads like a joke. Uh, if I was seven years old watching this, it would be like I'd be in euphoria, you know, seeing that they're talking about Superman, like Superman is real for these kids and these people, too. Uh, and I think that that feels like a gift almost from the, the film, you know, it it welcomes you to feel more like the characters in the movie to, to relate more to Freddy automatically. I think the average audience member is probably going to relate to him the most. And it ends up playing in a, in a really cool way. He loves Superman as much as we do. He loves Batman as much as we do. When you get to the point where uh, Billy is misusing his powers, the way that Freddy says, you know, if I had these powers, he would do the exact same thing as we all would, you know, or, or what we want to believe we would. So there were the little, the little touches, you know, the, the battering was, was great. I love that, uh, coming back, uh, in the third act of the movie. I loved. It says uh, it's magic. I, I couldn't figure this out. So was it magic? <laughs> it's the battering magic. Cause they say magic is the only thing that can damage Dr. Savannah. See, that was, that's one of the few times where like that, those kind of clues actually I got the first time. Because when it hit him and he turned around and he was bleeding, I like made a <gasps> and I turned to my wife and was like, uh, when the sins are out, he's just some guy. And like that oh. was, you know, that was like a total. Oh, what an artful way of actually communicating that. And uh, I was very confused by the magic. It's funny, too, because like that's in, in text. One of the grisliest attacks is in this movie, which is a like magically charged batarang stabbed into the back of the villain. <laughs> But it was super effective. That sounds um, awesome. But yeah, the uh, you know, my personal favorite is that the the warehouse that they are testing out Billy's powers in. I think there's only a single shot where you can see the Ace Chemicals corporate logo in the background, spray painted. Which, uh, for people who don't know, is the location the Joker. where Joker fell into the toxins, and you know his skin was bleached, his hair was turned green, and he kind of lost his sanity and. They used it again in Suicide Squad when he took Harley there and, and Harley fell in and they had their chemical wedding in the tanks. Making it an even better Easter egg is that I believe that is just the Hearn generating station outside of Toronto, which is closed down. So they just used it for both movies. So it is fictionally, cool. I guess, separated in between Philadelphia and Gotham. But in real life, it is the same building which I hope we someday get to find out if that Ace Chemicals logo was just left behind. <laughs> oh, yeah. From the Suicide Squad shoot. But I would kill for all of uh, Freddy's mementos that he has on his desk. Yeah, and he, I mean, he has this bullet that plays into the story, Superman bullet. And <laughs> so that's from BVS, right? I'm assuming yeah. that's from the – is that from the, sh- the time that Superman is shot overseas? Is that where that's from? Well, I, I, the funniest thing is I immediately thought, is this just some scam? Like, is this some, is this the, the well, equivalent he's like, it's authentic. of superheroes? Yeah. yeah. Is this like, you know, the new, it's a piece of the Berlin Wall and it's just like a piece of cement. You know, I have that, a piece of the Berlin Wall. Who knows? I, I think. I'm sure yours is totally I, authentic. <laughs> 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 uh, 
So you are the Freddy there. See, Freddy in you in the DC universe would be Freddy saying it has a certificate of authenticity. This is definitely <laughs> real. It's magical. I'm going to throw it at the first supervillain I find. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the, that bullet, though, I love the way it plays in the story and, yeah. you know, the, the the way that it gets stolen later by Billy, of course, and yeah. he has to apologize for it and then he loses it. I, I just I think that the way those Easter eggs are woven into the actual way that the script plays out, like the plot yeah, is pretty brilliant. And unlike Marvel, and this is not a bash Marvel. I love both. And I'm on record is that my listeners know that. Um, so this is not a one does it better than the other. I love that they do it differently. Yeah. But Marvel, we don't get characters on the ground who understand about superheroes in the world around them. Right. Like we just don't see that. We don't see random citizens on the streets walking up and interacting with superheroes. Yeah. The superheroes are always talking to themselves or people who know who they are. Or villains. Yeah, and even if we did, we we did it first. So I guess we don't get that anymore. Like the stakes are too big now. Right. Yeah. True. That's true. And well, and they're just they're very little. Like they're very they're very small. You know what I mean? Like so they're small moments. And here it feels. I mean, we see him taking selfies with yeah <laughs> crowds. Like everybody knows about him. They're they're on YouTube. They're just a part of mm-hmm. the natural national conversation and culture. And I and I really like yeah. that. Now, I had a listener, actually a staff member, Jeremy Calcara, who brought this up, so I I don't want to take credit, but he pointed out to me that Dr. Savannah is often compared to Lex Luthor because of their intellectual kind of powers and both being bald villains in the DCU. (laughs) Do you think there's any specific reason that they used... Lionel Luther from Smallville as Dr. Savannah's father, or do you think that's just a random coincidence? I mean, uh, you know what? I'll throw a curveball. I think it's clear that David F. Sandberg was such a massive fan of, of John Glover's performance in Batman Forever, uh, as wow. the, I believe the, the scientist that like verbally abuses Pamela Isley before she becomes Poison Ivy. Uh, so that's obviously what it is. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, I feel like that's just too, like, how could you not? Uh, right. I mean, that's what you feel like. You're like, wow, he's playing Lionel Luther. Meaner. But, like but even, me, yeah. yeah, yeah, even meaner. Yeah, for sure. And I also love the end credit scene with Aquaman and the fishbowl. Uh, that <laughs> obviously gave me a big kick with, you know, uh, Freddie totally, uh, coincidentally wearing an Aquaman t-shirt. I love that even more that it was like he had to point to it as if, you know, dude, like this is in my wardrobe. Are you kidding me? And we, that is like, a, you know, the quintessential example of it, right? Is everyone in that theater who's seen Aquaman is on Freddy's side when if Aquaman comes out after this movie, then even that scene plays totally different, right? Because we don't think Aquaman is as cool as Freddy does yet. So, yep. Yep. It's, it's a neat, um, it, it has my, my hopes really high for if we get a second movie, you know, of this or, or sometime in the future to allow the movies to, um, not like rely on each other in the way Marvel has gotten now where they kind of build off one another, but these people are totally just doing their own thing. But how in the world could we not make reference to Aquaman you know like we're thinking about as much as the people in the audience which I feel is just um 
that is so intrinsic to me reading comic books that to see it finally in movies is fantastic. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, well, family is at the heart of Shazam. And this kind of speaks to what you were saying about compassion being your one more takeaway. We start off the movie right away with Thad or Dr. Savannah pre doctorate causing a wreck that ultimately breaks his family apart. You know, it's tied into, of course, him being called to the Shazam chambers. Is that, what's that place called? The Rock of Eternity? The Rock of Eternity. Ooh, I got it right. Okay. Um, and he's rejected because he doesn't have a pure heart, uh, apparently. And so he gets in this wreck and I thought that he actually lost his father. I thought his dad was going to die. Um, but his dad and his brother have been treating him very poorly. So we have family issues right off the start. And then the next thing we see is Billy. We're introduced to him as a kid, and he's in the process of losing his mom, which, for the record, I thought was telegraphed pretty strongly. I, I never <laughs> once felt like it wasn't going to end up exactly how it ended up yeah. um, with her having chosen to leave him. It doesn't bother me. I just I never felt I never felt like Billy had a chance of finding his mom. Yeah, you know what? That was the first time that I've had one of these movies because they don't make movies like this anymore that are like Gremlins or, you know, Goonies, uh, as David Sandberg pointed out, movies that start with G, Ghostbusters, um, the, the kind of movies that as a kid, I wouldn't have gotten that. Like I, I recognize that, oh, this is now I'm on the other side of it where I would be one of the people watching the movie from the first scene. You know, if I'm watching it with with a, a younger kid, they would say, you know, he's trying to get his mom back. And I'm sitting there going, oh, like, you know, no, I, I know how this is going to go. And I know that ahead of time, this is going to be like um, a big learning experience as a kid. Uh, and I think the way they handle it is, is also well done, the way that it pivots Billy back to his quote unquote real family. It, it really is. And I think the way that the abuse in her relationship is alluded to without yeah. being shown is pretty powerful and moving because you see how tragic it is for his yeah. mom that she's accepting. You see it very clear in the character actions and the facial expressions that she's accepting of this abuse. She's And, and that's mm. not something we, we want to see, obviously. Yeah. And, and I like to think that, we're talking, you know, about future sequels, that that's something that could come back, that there's a potential here for Billy has now chosen his true family, mm-hmm. but there is a relationship to be kind of reconciled and yeah. some saving to be done that would be a really incredible story, I think, mm-hmm. if he was to go back and do that to help his mom out without accepting her as his main primary family that would be amazing yeah um so i, I like how that's done the, yeah. the the nuance there right that you could say you know oh he's a he was a, a foster kid and he found a new family and someone's first question would be well, what happened to his parents did they die or something and it would be well no i mean he the mother just isn't really fit like to to look after him and his father's in prison so it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is just an actual real world kind of this kid had to find a, a different family uh, and was forced to. But but it does leave all kinds of doors open. Yeah, you're right. Well, ultimately, he finds this foster family. And that's like the key point in Shazam's backstory of yeah. who, how, 
how he becomes who he is. Now, I didn't have a ton of knowledge about foster families in general. Uh, I haven't known a ton of people who've fostered kids, only a handful. Um, but movies like this and Instant Family last year have really kind of opened my eyes to this. And I know that there are tens and hundreds of thousands of kids in the system yeah. with, without parents. That is another tragedy. It's very sad. And it is, it, it's, it's hard on the heart to know that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you how you think the film handles this, or do you think it does it well handling how finding a family impacts Billy's actions as Shazam and as he becomes a superhero? Oh man. Yeah. That's, I I mean, it is kind of, it it leads to the, the sweetest moments, which I think is, is nice that it kind of lives up to that expectation. Like the, you know, a good brother and a good sister, uh, that is automatically removed from blood, you know, relatives. Uh, and it's just interesting how, how they, how they play with it. That's another thing I'm really excited to see going forward. Um, but I think a lot of it goes to the fact that I, I got the chance to visit the set of the movie while they were filming it. And we got to speak with the production designer, Jennifer Spence, who told us that she used to uh, run a, a group home or a, a foster home, I guess you would say. So she brought that experience to how she wanted the home to feel very warm, wanted it to feel very, um, I guess, you know, we use words like homey, right? That. And you can see that in the movie. There are drawings everywhere. There are personal marks that these kids have made. And, and you get the impression that these are not the only kids that have been through here. Uh, I, I thought, I thought that was a, just a, like a fantastic touch. The, the Vasquez's, um, come across, they have a very small role in the comic, but it is, I mean, honestly, like a couple lines of dialogue before the story takes over. And one of the lines is that they were foster kids too. So they're automatically, um, you know, a sign of, of what that compassion looks like. And, and it, you will get through this. Things will be okay. Um, are, are very core ideas to the story. I think the movie totally executes on those in a way that again, feels genuine. You know, it, um, the conversations that the Vasquez's have or their interactions with the kids, feel like the way that me as an audience member who looks at who would look at kids in this situation with like like you said you know heartache like it breaks your heart watching it they say the things that i would want said to these kids and i feel like that's a way harder thing to pull off you know than than when you're writing it out or, or or filming it on set um i think it ended up with the way they got uh at the end it kind of gets to the same thing as the comic, right? Which is when they are all together and say, okay, we're going to play and all run up the stairs together. You're reading it and you get that warm feeling, you know, that these make believe kids have found each other. And the movie totally executed, uh, on that. They pulled it off beautifully. I want to live in that house. You know, I, I want to have dinner with the Vasquez's. Um, it is not my connecting point, but I, I, it's, it, it's a testament to, how foster families and foster parents are represented in this movie, that one of my potential connecting points was between only them saying, you know, you choose when a home becomes your home. And that was a a beautiful moment. And 
totally speaks to exactly what it means for Billy to be his own kind of hero. Um, I feel happy to have the Henry Cavill Superman in my memory who I, I won't think about it too much because I'll just burst into tears. But like one of the first things he and Billy could talk about is being adopted. Um, and that is, I wouldn't have expected us to be here, you know, 10 years ago talking about superheroes and <laughs> getting to accept their foster brothers and sisters. Well, Bruce is essentially adopted too by Alfred. Yeah. I mean, in, in, a, in so many ways he's yeah. raised by a person who's not a parent. Um, it's a common thread through these yeah. superheroes in the DC universe. I mean, shoot. I, I guess Diana is too in some, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I love this about the movie. I, I just, when I go into a superhero movie and my favorite thing about it is a family of characters who have no powers, who are in it for 20 minutes of, you yeah. know, it's two hours is my favorite part. I think that's what makes something kind of special. I, I love the Vasquez's. I love the actors in the, in the roles. I loved that. Um, the way that they have diversity in this family. Mm-hmm. I, I've mentioned this in recent episodes where, I think it's getting better across the board, but we used to have this thing in Hollywood where we needed to force diversity and Mm. you could feel it. You could tell you're like, Oh, well they're making or putting a, an African American in this movie because they have to, or we, you know, we're trying to force something into a place where it just doesn't feel natural. And here everything is completely believable. I mean, we have uh, an Asian child. We have uh, an African American child. We have boys, we have girls, we have, People who are, um, potentially, I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, who's the bigger kid? Um, Pedro? Yeah, Pedro. Um, people with, um, you know, who are quiet. Yeah. And withdrawn. People who are out loud and. Like real kids. (laughs) Yes, like there's such a great diversity in the cast, uh, and then Samoan or Hawaiian of some, some sort, um, parents. I just think it's, it's really phenomenal. The makeup yeah. of this family. Yeah. And that, that I was struck. Um, it's, it seems so quaint. Like, and this is going to seem so quaint. I'm sure, you know, even just a few years from now, but the, the exchange that, um, I'll, I'll just say Mrs. Vasquez has with Pedro in Spanish on the stairs that is like it, it instantly got across that they have something between them that, that the other kids don't. And that's, it's because of their, you know, their, their what shared ancestry or culture or whatever you, you want to say that is theirs, but that doesn't detract from anyone else in the house. Uh, that was just such a, it was like a, a very visual example of a family doesn't mean, you know, parent, father, brother, sister, brother, sister. Like it, it was just, they're all in this together looking after one another. And that goes to like what you said, you know, the whole found family idea. Um, it was one of the, I think like the Shazam comic was one of the first times I saw foster kids referred to by individual first and last names. So, and I remember that always, that always stuck with me. You know, it's not huge. It's not Eugene and, and Pedro. It's Eugene Choi. It's Pedro Pena. It's Mary Bromfeld. Like they don't, it doesn't erase where they came from and it doesn't, you know, whitewash where they are now starting over. Um, 
they don't refer to the Vasquez as his mom and dad. Like it, it almost like freely, it, it doesn't fight against, um, the kind of things you're talking about, like the stereotypes. It just kind of shows something that I'm sure people in the real world will recognize. You know, oh man, I know a dozen kids like Eugene and I know fewer kids like Pedro, but I get it. You know, like I, I understand who you are and, and Mary and, and Darla, I mean, just the sweetest girl in the world. So when we get those kids being able to have their moment, uh, I feel like that's why those moments matter is we want all of them to be, <laughs> it's just so stupid. We want what is best for them. And then we see like their best selves later, which I feel like is such a, it, it's not a moment I cheered at, but it was just a moment that I just like sat quietly like a happy parent. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I, I love everything about it. I love you mentioned one of the conversations between the two Vasquez parents. And part of that conversation that I loved a lot was how they specifically say, you know, oh, he ran away again. And he, I think it's the dad. I don't remember if it's the, the dad or the mom that says it, but he says, and we'll be the first to accept him back. Yeah, and that's the difference. The difference yeah. is that, yes, he's ran away and we ran away a 100 times, too. But we're not going to let that define our relationship with him. Yeah. And you realize like how important that is in real life, in real parenting. Like you don't do that with your own kids. You don't, you don't, hmm. you don't kick your own kids out when they make a first mistake. So why yeah. would, why do we do that with a foster child? And it leads to them having those same actions and them, they're learning by example with mm-hmm. his family. And I love that. I like the conversation that he, Billy has with Mary. A lot. That was mm-hmm. an almost connecting point for me. Yeah. Um, when he tells her families are for people who can't take care of themselves. Yeah. Before he realizes, like, it, it feels like the Shazam is the Shazam body is giving him this opportunity to play out the worst parts of his upbringing. You know, the, yeah. the beliefs that he has that he can be on his own. Now he has the tools to succeed at that. And yet, through these family members, he starts to realize that that's never going to be, you know, he's never going to be yeah. okay on his own. That seems to be the whole theme of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a neat detail too. I feel like every one of these DC heroes has been explicitly defined by their parent or parents that that is like fundamental. Their story begins with their parents. And in this one, uh, it's their siblings, you know, like that, that just in, instantly sets, uh, Billy and the whole Shazam family apart as if Superman showed up, uh, you I mean, just let's say by chance, if Superman showed up to talk to Billy, he would almost need to talk to the other kids to, to have an idea of what is actually going on in this family. And, this is a very, it's a very cool thing. I feel like that makes it automatically more, this is like the perfect superhero movie for kids. Like, I, I can't say it any other way. It's not about you. Even when this, even when the story is about you, it's as much about the people around you. And that is just such a, a potent lesson, <laughs> you know, for, for the time that we're living in that if, if Billy learned one thing in this movie, it's don't, like stop thinking just about yourself and everything gets better for him after that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and it's rewarding because we see their actions that 
help bring that about. I mean, the foster kids have secretly discovered who his mom is for him. You know, they're doing these things behind the scenes. Yeah. They're not doing them to get something from Billy. They're doing them because they're trying to, they want to accept him and they want to help him. Um, and I think his two catchphrases at the end, I say two because I don't, I don't think one of them ever sticks, but like he says two things. If a superhero can't save his family, he isn't much of a hero. Yeah. That's one of them, um, which I thought was really great. And the other one is, here's the thing about power. What good is power if you've got nobody to share it with? Yeah. And I, I don't know that that's been something I've literally ever heard in a superhero story. Before yeah. this one, yeah. uh, a, a hero who is powerful, who wants to give it away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is completely unique. Um, and it's really cool to, to play, see play out for, for the record. I did not know anything about the Shazam family going into this movie. So oh, wow. my jaw dropped and I was in just an utter disbelief when I found out that there was an element of other Shazams to this story. Uh, it, it was, it was awesome <laughs> to experience that for the first time. And I, and I think super heartwarming for me mm-hmm. to see those kids get to experience some of what Billy has been given the opportunity to um, above and beyond. Like we're no longer foster kids you know, we have yeah. these identities and, and this, we're going to do something for good and we're going to use ourselves to do it. And they do it both as foster kids and they do it as heroes. And it's really awesome. Yeah. Um, so on the flip side, the, the family that we talk about here and, and Billy's journey kind of to define family, family also creates the villain in a, in a lot of ways. His poor relationship with his dad and his brother and ultimately Dr. Savannah's unwillingness to forgive and his holding on to bitterness and resentment throughout his life that has created the evil character that Mark Strong ultimately becomes. I wondered, how do you think the fan, how did it handle bullying for you? Because bullying was a big piece from his family, um, specifically for Dr. Savannah, but we also see bullying for, from Freddie or of Freddie and Billy having to stick up for him um, and, and other times throughout the film. How did the creation of Dr. Savannah, though, specifically work for you, and how did he play as a villain? Uh, yeah, you know what? It's interesting because I didn't feel like it was a guilty pleasure seeing him get his revenge. But I think – and I obviously it's, it's you know unsubtly communicated that his brother and his father are mean people. Like they are cruel. You know, they, um, they're, they're giving him crap in the car and he's not doing anything. You know, he, he's just being a kid. Um, so, so I think we're automatically supposed to feel as if it's, it's so sad. They had it coming? Well, I, because I would take issue with that if we do. I don't think no. they had it coming. You know what? That's, that's the thing. I, I, I think that it's what the, the comic gets across. Um, they take an extra beat when Billy comes. And the wizard basically subjects this, the same question to him, which is, you know, is this person pure of heart? Uh, and he's not because he, he's done mean things. He's been bad. He's rebelled, etc. And Billy basically says, the thing you're trying to find isn't out there. You know, nobody is perfect. Uh, you are not perfect. And so the wizard shifts and says, does he have the potential for good? And then he sees but chiefly the moments that he stands up to bullying 
you know, the moments that he shows generosity to people when people aren't looking. And it's, it's so tragic because in the movie, I, I had that in my mind as I was watching it. And Thad just isn't given that chance, right? He is, uh, I, I think that everything he does is, at least to me, was a result of the wizard showing no compassion, you know, having no concern for who this kid was. Um, and when Thad, I think that's his, his first like words to the wizard when he walks up to him is, do you have any idea what it's like to tell a child that they'll never be good enough? Yep. And at that point, I was, maybe it's because Mark Strong is such like an, an incredible actor in basically every role. Uh, but when he said that, I just made the mental switch of, I am completely accepting of anything you do because you have basically just said whatever happens here is because I was told as a kid I wasn't good enough. And boy, you're really going to have to press the line of, of things you do that I would not be willing to accept, uh, you know, spins out of that. And so when he went to his family and, uh, you know, the the way that he took anger out and, and it was savage and it was horrible and brutal, but I, I didn't think this makes him evil. Like I understood what the movie was trying to tell me about why this started and why he got here, um, especially in the superhero movie genre. That really does stand out. I feel like it is not very often that I feel that the villain has as much reason f- for doing what he does as the hero. And I, it's, it's sad more than anything. You're able to empathize. I mean, that's yeah. what we always, we always want to be able to empathize with the villain. Thanos is not a villain we can empathize with. <laughs> Thanos is a villain we can understand. Yes. We can understand his philosophical reasoning. The, yeah. the villains we can empathize with is someone like, um, well, I can't think of his name, but in civil war, the one that no one, I mean, he's just a guy, but yeah, he lost his wife and he's, he's trying to, he's upset about that. Yeah. And, and he wants revenge for that because of Sokovia. And that makes sense. You're like, I totally get why you could get to the point you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're on a run here with DC. Hey, cause Ocean Master are. is the same thing. No, Ocean Master. Yeah. Another one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I love that. And, and it is really something that elevates superhero movies. Uh, Captain Marvel, to an extent, has that with one of its villains, I will say, because um, I don't want to talk too sure. much about spoilers. But there's something in there about the villain that I really resonate with strongly. Um, and and I love this about it. And and you're right. Same thing with Dr. Savannah. Like, I would never in 100 years justify what he did and murder. Yeah. But I get why he got there. And I understand. I think... The representation, visual, first the visual representation, the horror nature of the seven deadly sins is fantastic. I know it's probably a bit much for, for some young kids, but <laughs> I loved it. And I was like, okay, there's, there's David Sandberg, the horror director coming yeah. out. Um, but like when you think about the seven deadly sins and the way that they can create and, and in, uh, inform our actions, it's just, yeah. man, it plays out in such a smart way. And they movie. don't really drill down on it too much. Like the, the biggest moment it's called out is when he says that to his father, right? What is your sin? And he's talking about envy. I think, is it envy? That's greed. 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 Yeah. It's greed. Greed. And when he happen. says, you know, it's greed, it's like, oh, right. He doesn't think these sins are cool. 
He's not buying into the evil that they bring. He's just recognizing that, I mean, basically in his life, he's seen them. And so him taking control over them does make sense. I mean, they're offering him control over basically the things that hurt him, right? It seems uh, like he fact- essentially wants to give them give them over to their sins because he even says right. about greed. He's like, you can have him, and and his dad gets literally consumed yeah. by greed. Yeah, and and the the switch of him saying, you know, what is your sin? It's greed, and then greed kind of manifesting there with four hands. I was just like, oh, what a neat, you know, visual idea of getting across how he is different. And I would, I mean, I'm I'm dying for like the behind the scenes you know, making of in, in designing all of those sins because there's that, you know, the big one with the wings and the when you see later uh gluttony running and its entire body opens up into a mouth. It was just such that a was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, I think he, he said that his inspiration was the like demon dogs from Ghostbusters. And once you keep that in your mind, a hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> and, and then the way that you know, they find out Envy being Dr. Savannah. Yeah. Is being said. I love that it comes down to having to understand the character's reasoning. It's not just being able to have a power that allows you to punch someone more than they can punch you. He had to understand yeah. the villain at a distinct heart level. In mm-hmm. order to do the thing that led to him being able to take him yeah. down. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's pretty great too. And I just like the way that the bullying is handled here. Um, I like that it, there's, it, it's hard to depict bullying because we all want to see the bullies get their comeuppance. Yeah. But there's also an element to, you know, turning the other cheek that I would love to see more in these stories as well. I think this one toes a good line. Yeah. Uh, yes, the truck gets ruined, but it's a direct. <laughs> it's not going after something that didn't have a point earlier in the film. Yeah. And the truck is what got hit them. The truck is yeah. what specifically was used to yeah. abuse other people. And it's what these kids cared about. And so it's like taking away the thing that they care about. Yeah. And, and um, the fact that Savannah doesn't, he only goes after them. Like he, he, he is after revenge. Okay. He's the villain. You know, he, he is going about finding some sense of justice or, 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 you know, payback in a way that actually rebalances the scales. He's wrong. He's bad. He can't be left to, to keep doing what he's doing. I also love that the mom, the thing that got Billy to stop was when they said that Freddie didn't have his mom. That was a, I wasn't expecting it. Maybe people people were like, "Oh yeah, here it goes." But I thought that was actually pretty uh, well done. That that would be the thing that got through to Billy. And really, we don't get references to the foster kids' parents uh, in the comics. Some of them had died. Some of them were had their kids taken away from them. But that was a, a moment where it was, "Oh right." these kids are more like Billy than I thought, even if he, even if they aren't, you know, the protagonists of the story, it's an important check to keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. It makes the ending for them even more strong and more happy and joyful for us. when We get to see what they are allowed to do. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about superhero power testing. I probably should have mentioned this kind of more in the beginning. We were talking about like (laughs) Easter eggs and stuff, but like, 
this middle section of the film was oh, almost yeah. my connecting point. All of it made me so happy. I mean, it made me laugh <laughs> out loud. And here's the thing. As a kid, I think that the best thing about comics was imagining what it would be like to have the, these powers. Yeah. Freddy especially. Being a disabled child, it's obvious why he would gravitate toward a love of superheroes and people who have exceptional physical power. Pretending and wondering what I might do with them, just like these guys do, like that's exactly – it's capturing that so well. And I think that the Shazam entity, <laughs> the Shazam adult <laughs> being, it, it gives Billy and Freddy both the opportunity to explore that, and it goes exactly as expected. Um, the secret testing fire immunity portion – and the bulletproof <laughs> testing both had me in complete stitches. Like, yeah. I was dying. I was thinking to myself, like, what, yeah. what if they went wrong? Like, what if he's not immune to bullets in his face? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and the look on their face afterward when they – the movie doesn't it, – it trusts you to realize this. But yeah. the way they look at each, each other is kind of acknowledging that. Like, oh, er, oh, oh, but it's okay. Yeah. Because um, that's not something you think about as kids, uh, you know. And so it, I love – the scenes are amazing. And then they not only that, but they provide a connection for me by which I think Freddie and Billy truly become not only friends, but brothers. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all need this type of a connection, obviously not testing our superhero powers, <laughs> but we need something that we can connect with our loved ones with in order for our relationships to grow and develop. There, there has to be that yeah. common ground and these scenes for those two did so much of that as well as giving us the fun exploration of what would it be like to to have these powers. I just I just really really enjoyed it. Yeah. The the image of him punching through the concrete wall and then the immediate like the facial smile <laughs> yes. yeah, was uh I mean it was just it's the kind of thing you don't get in in a, in a superpower story. Um like Chronicle is like the only one I can think of that even really came close to showing how much of a blast this would be for a regular person. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it, I, I, it's the tone of the movie that allows for it. Like not every movie can have it, but if anyone can, it's Shazam. So I'm so happy that they just went full in on that too. The beer gag, the <laughs> fact that they wanted to get beer because that's the cool thing to do. And then they tasted it and spit it out and went back and got Red Bull I was so happy because I don't like beer personally. I'm one of those guys who's never grown into it. Um, but like as a kid, that's how it starts. Yeah. Like, no one, no one drinks like old Milwaukee for the first time because it's cool and thinks, <laughs> man, this tastes so great. Right. Yeah. And just their reaction and like, forget this. We're getting some Mountain Dew red vines and, yeah. you know, like Cheetos. Like that's what we would do. And like, you, you wouldn't think about it, you know, cause kids are like, oh, let's go get beer. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I totally buy it. But then it's like the moment they take a drink, your brain skips and thinks, oh God, they're going to be horrified by this. And like, as you're saying it, they do it. And it's the kind of joke that sneaks up on you. I, I I loved the entire first sequence of him accidentally like slamming the mugger, you know, <laughs> a dozens of feet across the ground and then accidentally throwing him and, um, you know, this old lady, uh, and then later outside the convenience store, like, uh, even 
outside the the store saying we should hang out you look like you're the same age as me <laughs> the woman i know <laughs> and she's like what and she's just, like, just yeah. take my money and go just take oh, it just take it just take it that was so great yeah that yeah, was so it's much so fun. pure in those moments mm-hmm. um and even like with him like trying to save the bus and having no clue how to do what he's yeah. doing you know like the guys are falling and you're you're genuinely starting to worry that he may not be able to get this done because not because he's not powerful enough but because yeah. he doesn't have the mind to understand how to be the hero yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so great. Um, before we move to the last thing here, I have one little mention. I would be remiss and my best friend would probably hate me forever if I didn't mention the Rocky scenes. He's a <laughs> huge Rocky fan, Patrick. And when Shazam, not once, but twice. So when he first, yeah. we first get to see him make a nod to it where he's like, you know, I can see why Rocky likes this view. And yeah. Like, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> but then we get the eye of the tiger moment. Yeah. Um, at the same location. And I was just so giddy and so high. I just thought that was so awesome. A way to tie in the city. Yeah. Um, specifically and I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. I, I really love that's one of like the small, not Easter egg moments, but the, the details where in the comics, when when Shazam first realized he could fly, you turn the page to a full splash of Shazam flying with Freddy uh, around his shoulders and Shazam holding his crutches in his hand. And it was um, a, a powerful image, obviously, uh, that isn't repeated in the movie. But I, I realized clearly Freddy got to get to the top of those stairs without having to climb them. Uh, which, which again was a nice way of like taking that same moment when you realize, and I'm sure that'll be on Twitter, you know, in the coming days and weeks, someone will post it and be like, my reaction when I realized, you know, Billy either carried him up or, or jumped, you know, did super jumps, um, up the stairs to, to be where Rocky was. I just love that, um, that small detail. I would be remiss because I teased, uh, with you, um, the secret of that final action scene with the kids yes. becoming heroes. Yes, that's right. Uh, I will give all credit to, to Matt Morrison, um, a fellow screen rant writer who pointed out, <laughs> I'll read, I'll read this here if I can, just because it, it struck me as genius that, uh, he was kicking himself for, for not thinking of it earlier, but the Shazam anagram, which the wizard shouts as he's giving the powers to Billy, the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, as the power of Zeus, the courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. Uh, Matt writes, consider the six kids. This was just in a message among the writers. This is how genius this was. Mary, smart, scholarly, figures out Billy's the hero on her own. She doesn't get a chance to use it in the fight, but she's obviously the wisdom of Solomon. Pedro has the strength of Hercules. He's the strong one, easy. Uh... Freddy has the stamina of Atlas. Get your Kleenex ready. This one is probably the biggest stretch, but think about it. What Atlas does best is endure. So does Freddy. He endures the ridicule of his classmates. He copes with his physical disability. And once he's finally freed of his burdens by the power of Shazam, it's a relief. He can move unfettered. And in his head, it's like he can fly. So he can. For Eugene, the power of Zeus, he literally throws lightning. Billy routinely gets into fights where the odds are against him and doesn't let his fear stop him. That's the courage of Achilles. And Darla, another easy one, has the hilarious speed of Mercury. And when he said that message, I, that final scene just became so much more meaningful to me. Uh, and it actually makes the whole Shazam anagram like 
mean like they had the acronym mean something yeah. yeah that's i'm so glad you shared that man that's that is really good um and that's what i like like i want those details i want yeah. i want writers who care enough to make those things connect yeah um and have something that just affects us differently than oh that was cool because it was a neat yeah. like, uh, scene i mean um yeah right down to to darla meeting santa and you know the just the the moment of realization uh, it's just it's it's fantastic it, it it drives home the point that not necessarily every superhero movie should be uh, should like include kids or or be a story about kids but kids were missing from this superhero genre i think more than people were were willing to even accept like needed to change yeah no for sure you know that actually leads me into this last thing i want to talk about which is kind of the future and where do we go from here and when you talked about those kids and the powers Fill me in on something here because okay. I, there's seven wizards, seven, Correct. and Shazam plus his family are six. Mm-hmm. So we are missing one. Am I wrong in real in my math? That is correct. Uh, I would I would suggest that anyone who has also noted that should either head out to their local comic book store or head over to DCComics.com for uh, Jeff Johns and um, Gary Frank? No, it isn't Gary Frank. Anyway, Jeff John's current ongoing Shazam series, I believe we're at number four, and the selection of a seventh champion is uh, one of the main storylines. I won't say that that will be lifted exactly for a sequel, but considering that Jeff John's got around to writing and releasing it in time for the first one to be made into a movie, it would sure make a lot of sense. Awesome. So it's not somebody that we just met in this movie necessarily. It isn't oh not i mean it could be potentially but that it was also right. um part of his story that in like a footnote uh on a page that that eagle-eyed fans caught was uh the s the h the a the z the a the m and the exclamation point um the powers those were the powers given to the champion uh of the council so that is seven we just didn't realize that the exclamation point was also calling on powers that maybe the wizard didn't tell Billy about. And once again, we are going to be uniting the seven. Go figure. <laughs> hmm. Gosh, that Zack Snyder. Um, all right. So other things about coming sequels. We got so – mm. I will tell you, I'm pretty proud of myself because I noticed the caterpillar in the first scene. <laughs> in the very first scene of the movie, I was like, why are we getting a random POV shot from a caterpillar in the corner that we so never good. seen? So good. I didn't know who the heck this was. This thing happens at the end of the movie, and it's it's like a what the f moment. It, it <laughs> reminded me honestly of the first time that Marvel introduced Thanos, not because of because oh, I sure. knew who Thanos was, but I imagine that casual fans at the time who had no freaking clue this big nutsack to be. I know it's not an explicit podcast, but he has like a nutsack chin, purple chin big guy in space sitting in a throne on a rock on a meteor floating like, yeah. who is this guy right i knew but i think a lot of people didn't know well i'm in the a lot of people didn't know about who the talking caterpillar is so i googled him <laughs> and i'm gonna let you talk here in a minute but it's mr mind i learned and he is holy crap he's cat he is freaking powerful first of all he's not a caterpillar i should stop calling him that he is a venetian worm he's from venus 
Um, he is essentially omnipotent. Like he's, <laughs> his powers are insane when you read about him. Um, and it sounds like he might have some kind of Thanos like world conquering qualities about him. So my question is, how, you knew who this was. <laughs> so I want to know what you thought about Mr. Mind. I want to know what you think about. Was there any Black Adam set up in this film? Because Black Adam is a, a Shazam villain that was originally going to be part of this film and yeah. was taken out. To He's going to be played by The Rock. The Rock, I just tweeted something today of yeah. The Rock talking about the film, how excited he is. He said that a reckoning is coming for DC's heroes and that he's going to kick all their asses, which got me excited. Yeah. Um, so what is going on here in the future of Shazam world and in, in the DCU? Yeah, that was a, a, a Mr. Mind. I mean, simply put, like he is adapted perfectly <laughs> from comic book to the movie from the 2001, you know, the the rebooted comic origin of Shazam that this movie is basically adapting like whole cloth. Um, but like you said, with Savannah in the Black Adam role, the the big difference I, I can't express what it is like to know Mr. Mind and know that he is, uh, looks like a caterpillar, but communicates through a voice box that is hung around his neck, question mark. But knowing that and then having that scene where his robotic voice <laughs> begins to speak, I was in disbelief. I think I had my hands on both sides of my face as my wife was in total confusion and i was in total just um ecstasy that uh i believe that's also the director's voice reading the lines uh oh that's perfect but that he was also the three crocodiles in the crocodile room and the voice of billy's mother's abusive boyfriend but um so yeah mr mind the 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 comic it ends on that exact same cliffhanger with the the worm coming to Dr. Savannah and saying, you know, well, what fun we're going to have, which was left hanging for, you know, six, seven years now, uh, and was finally brought back that Mr. Mine and Savannah are teaming up. Uh, Mr. Mine's, his backstory has been rewritten a little bit to be within the magical realms, just not the, um, not the ones that the, he is one of the things that basically the wizards obviously caught and, restored order because he had basically led an army of monsters it, it sounds like um which is fantastic because of course he would uh yeah superpowers of mental manipulation uh possibly psychic and uh, i i am beside myself wondering what possible sequel could be because i think before this everyone assumed it would be black adam coming in um i think it actually does make more sense in the larger picture here to continue with the Shazam kids' story uh, tied to Savannah and Mr. Mind and kind of let Black Adam do his own thing. We, we do kind of get like a sort of glimpse of him in the movie when, when the wizard is showing that the patented DC Universe fairy tale history lesson using uh, an artificial or magical medium. In this case, it is like gold sparkles to show when the, the council's last champion like fallen champion bad champion uh kind of got his revenge and then went after the council to destroy them too 
which in the DC canon is Black Adam. That, that is his origin story, and he was locked away along with the wizard, which kind of raises the question, if the wizard dies and Billy doesn't know to keep Sh- uh, Black Adam locked away, then you kind of have a perfect explanation for how he comes back out to find some dumb kids are now using this power uh, to basically upend the world. So I'm very curious to see, because in, in that version of that story, and I think even in that scene, no, it's never said that Adam is evil. It's just said that um, it went very bad. And, and I don't think the wizard comes off as like, you know, benevolent or, or thoughtful or, uh, you know, good serving enough to make it impossible to believe that like maybe he was the jerk, you know, maybe he basically told Adam that he didn't deserve the power at all. And then what are you going to do? You know, so um, Adam used the power in the comics to avenge his family to murder, which like we've already talked about, uh, it can be understandable and you can also empathize with it. So yeah, he was also in the comics responsible for like millions of deaths in civilizations. Correct. As well. I, I think we're going kind to be of. brushing that aside and going with the no, no. He came out and when Billy first said Shazam, that was it. Until then, you know, clean slate. Yeah, I mean the opportunity for he and Savannah to have this parallel story, yeah, as villains is really intriguing to me as well. I, I'm super excited for all of this. Just like with Aquaman, you know, it it's it opens up a whole new world that I'm not <laughs> familiar with. Yeah. And I think that DC is just just doing amazing work right now and really, really course correcting. Not that I thought there was a problem, but there were some missteps with Mm -hmm. everything that went wrong with having to, you know, rush to fix Justice League and Snyder's absence um, due to the tragedy in his family and then the Suicide Squad, which I will call a debacle because I just don't think that it was a good film. Um that they've they've really started to to put together an amazing run here, and I mean I think people in general I think audiences are definitely starting to notice. Yeah, you know, and I think we're we're kind of at a point where, where you know, following the the Justice League and all of that stuff, I feel like people are starting to shift their perspective or uh, the context where it is seeming more and more like. Zack Snyder was telling a story about the Justice League involving DC's biggest heroes. And then whatever they wanted to do on their own, you know, thumbs up, go nuts, do an Aquaman movie, do a Wonder Woman movie. Cool. Um, you know, we, other ones we may not end up getting from that, but it seemed, you know, there was never a way that a Shazam story would or should really really you know be tied into like what the justice league is doing um so i think it is kind of shifting now in a very explicit way to dc films warner brothers studios doing what it seemed like they were doing at first which was if you've got a really good pitch for a character or if we have a character that we think could be a really good movie you know be as connected as you want to be or not you know, um, if it calls for it, okay, then we can talk about that. But, you know, we've just have the trailer for Joker, which seems like a, an interesting take on a character that people know, which like used to be, I guess, what I thought these DC movies would kind of be. Um, 
if someone came along and said, I've got a really cool pitch for um, Shadow Pact and the Justice League Dark, I do not care if Superman and Batman are going to be in it. I could not care less about that. Oh, it's going to be completely different and going into the magic? Perfect. I don't care about seeing Shazam in there, but if you tell me you have a cool way of doing it, cool. Um, we've got a Birds of Prey movie or a, a movie about the Gotham City Sirens. I don't care if Batman's in it. I care about these characters. And it seems like now they've kind of gotten there like they have no other choice or have been kind of forced to do that to put things behind them. But it, it kind of seems like this is the more exciting way to do it anyway. And and I've said it on Twitter and I've said it bef- before about this. Shazam should have always felt this way, you know, and I think that it's credit to, to David F. Sandberg for getting that, realizing that and, and doing justice to the character in that way. I, I feel like people who try to frame this as some kind of um, like a, a specific course correction to uh, characters that have nothing to do with Shazam. Uh, I don't think we would have ever gotten a Shazam movie that was different than this feels like, or we would be saying it was kind of a little bit disingenuous to the character. You know, I bottom line, like at the end of the day, the Shazam movie feels like it, like it is going to, I've seen a trailer for a Joker movie that sure feels and looks like a Joker movie should. Uh, so it more of the same, I guess, character by character. I, I, if that is an alternative to shared universe, and Aquaman and Shazam and Joker are the first signs of what that could be. I'm more than willing to, to like see this out. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, let's go ahead and transition then into the connecting point and wrap things up with that. I'm curious to hear what yours is, so I'm going to let you go first. Mine is just when those dang kids all said Shazam. You know, they were all, all hands. Not when they said Billy. No, oh God, that was my favorite bit too. Laughed out comics, loud so hard. Captain Marvel Jr., it was always the weirdest thing I thought, and now it's like confirmed. He got his power like indirectly through Captain Marvel, so he would shout Captain Marvel and then become Captain Marvel Jr., which is so weird. That's like yelling your boss's name. Um, but to have that and, and just the, the payoff of, of those kids and, uh, it's really hard to, to nail like that kind of casting to see those kids in the adults, but I thought it was like perfect. Uh, everyone got a little moment and I, 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 it's a fantastic moment in the comics that was a full blown like jaw drop, you know, when that happens on the page and it feels like a dream come true almost like the kind of moment you wish could happen, but never does. And it was equaled only in the comics by when the new comics started up and it just went without saying that all of the kids are superheroes together now. You know, it's not when Billy lets us. And uh, I, I'm so, so happy that they ended the movie on that note that um, this feels like the movie I would have killed to have had when I was a kid purely because all of those brothers and sisters get to be that together. And the moment that that was realized on film down to like their costumes being exactly the way they were in the comic with Darla's hair and ah, just a total comic book geek out next level fandom. Uh, I was already really enjoying the movie, but that made me feel like I could close the book on the comic, you know, hoping it would be adapted faithfully uh, when that moment struck. And it was just an all out kind of, fun everyone going their own way in their own fight um 
I couldn't believe it was happening. And I, I don't get that that much with these superhero movies. And the fact that they kept it a, a secret to probably almost everyone, um, that just felt like a really, really special moment. That's great. I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Like I told you earlier, I didn't know it was coming. And so <laughs> it was just completely jaw-dropping and shocking to me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is an incredible storytelling. Um, so I'm glad to hear that that's an adaptation directly that that was in the comics as well yeah um, and it makes me curious like i, I want to know more i want to know like you said i want to know how they get the ability to become shazams in the future do they have their own name like i want to know more about the world because of this <laughs> in so many ways um i also was a big fan growing up of a tv show called the oc uh <laughs> this is like <laughs> one of those like Beverly hills 90210 was like the next wave of those and it starred a very young young man named Adam Brody. And I've always been an Adam Brody fan. And so when Adam Brody becomes older Freddy, I lost my stuff. Like, I yeah. thought there could not have been a more perfect older Freddy than Adam Brody. Yeah. I that, just thought, love yeah. the casting. I assume it was, it was cool. I had the thought, wow, that's going to be like a moment in time where – um, literally more than a million people have a collective. That's the guy, you know, like that's who that kid was reminding me of all this time from it. And now through this movie, it was, Oh, right. Adam Brody. And, um, yeah, I mean, everybody will probably Adam Brody was going to be the, the flash in that justice league mortal movie. We didn't get. And DJ Catrono was going to be Superman who plays the adult Pedro. So it's a, a fun little, uh, you know, behind the scenes in front of the camera moment of, uh, yeah, weird celebration. That was ugh, Adam Brody, chef's kiss. And he didn't throw out that scene. That was like, this is where he belongs with his like banter with the, you know, the, you're my first villain. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's hilarious. He sells it perfectly. Well, my CP that I ultimately decided to go to is, the thread throughout the film of all hands on deck. So it's a little family phrase that they used at different points throughout. And I think that part of the reason I really enjoyed this is that usually something like this in movies feels very forced and cheesy. This thing that keeps getting referenced. It's like, Oh, they're just doing this in order to reference it later. And it just doesn't feel natural to me, but here it worked perfectly. And I, it invoked like, so much real emotion in me as a viewer. We learn about the first time that Billy eats with the Vasquez family. It's their way of saying grace before meal. Dad says this cute little rhyming prayer and all the members put their hands on top of one another's in a typical go team fashion, like a yeah. sports event. And so it really just kind of confirmed for me this family dynamic of being team like that. This is a foster yeah. family that's team. And I appreciate that. It also sees Billy being resistant, but no one's pushing him to join in that first time. I love that. Later, we see it at the dinner at the near the end of the film, and Billy's not participating, and it's kind of called out at the time. We see Dad push a little. He asks why, um, because Billy's been with them a while, and he's part of the family now, and so he's shown previously that he was comfortable, and now it's a sign that something is up, that he's not participating. So it tells us a little bit there. And then we get the all-important use during the battle, which is in that Shazam family moment. When Billy uses the phrase telling his brothers and sisters to grab the staff um, prior to becoming the Shazam family, it's such an awesome way, I think, for them to connect over something they all understand 
that is unique to them, unique to their existence as brothers and sisters in a family. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't exist in any other. There is no understanding of this phrase use that does not directly relate to their world as children of the Vasquez yeah. uh, parents. So I think it's great there. Um, I love it even more because there's a faith angle to it. And so for me personally, though the family isn't explicitly shown as Christian, the fact that they pray together in any capacity, I think is really cool mm -hmm. to see done in a film. Um, it's just, it's a realistic prayer. It's yeah. not this overblown dramatic reading of a biblical prayer from, you know, a thousand, two thousand years ago. It's a cute little rhyme yeah. that is relevant to each and every day. And then lastly, when Billy initiates it as a kid, I got kind of choked up, to be honest, because he says one himself and he rhymes it and he ends it with, and this time I think I'll stay. Mm. And just, I, you knew he had already bought into the family at this point. You knew that this was going to happen. But it's that verbal confirmation that he has accepted them as his parents and as, you know, his brothers yeah. and sisters. And man, I just, I thought it was such a great use of this little family tradition that goes throughout the film and ends in a, in a hugely meaningful way. Yeah. It wasn't like a, a tough guy moment either of like, you're all right either. It was like, I'm okay knowing. I'm okay showing you I want to, I want this. It was a, oh, yeah, and the, the, the all hands on deck, a good reminder. Like I, I like after the fact that they made that moment connected to Billy, like, oh, Billy the kid. Wow. Uh, Billy, you know, put that image into our head of young Billy, despite it being, you know, Zachary Levi. Just one last reminder. This is the kid at the dinner table saying this, not, you know, some massive superhero guy, um, which I guess speaks to the like the broader thing. I really enjoyed how they kept uh, flipping back and forth between the two of them. I, I thought that was really a success, but I really loved it at, at that moment that they connected it specifically to something that we had only seen with, between Billy and then those kids at the table. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess I also love it because, you know, it's a naval phrase and me being a Navy veteran. <laughs> so there's just all kinds of reasons that this had to be my king. How could it not? Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I know, as I said, Patrick is kicking himself. Oh, he said to tell you hi. Whoo, I almost missed that. I, I mean, I could have told you offline, of course, but this way it's documented. Patrick said hi. Um, and he's sorry he missed you. I oh. can't wait for uh, the next one, whether it's Joker or something before that. Um, that I'm sure we'll have you back on. Where can people find you though? Like in the meantime, uh, we talked about BBS at the beginning of this show. Yeah. Um, what else are you doing podcast writing wise? Yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter at Andrew B Dice. You can find everything I write at screenrant.com, including a lot of Shazam stuff, uh, uh, this week and probably going into the foreseeable future and, uh, all movie topics also, not just DC stuff, even though, those are kind of the, the my choice films to ramble on about. Uh, I, I do write about other stuff, so you can find that on, on Screen Rant. Awesome. Well, listeners, for us next week on FF Plus, we will be talking uh, about Mary Magdalene and reviewing that in our non-spoiler fashion. 
I'm not sure yet what else will be on that episode, but we'll have a couple other things to discuss as well. Patrick will be back. And then our next main episode, episode 160, will be on Missing Link. Uh, We had an opening in the schedule. I went and saw it this past Saturday early, and I was really kind of taken with it. So I thought we would throw it on there. I'm excited to go over that one. Thanks for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed Shazam as much as we do. We hope you got something out of this conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.